Hi, this is Adam Christopher, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the FSF Podcast. I'm Tim. I'm your host. I'm very excited to have today's guest with us because he's not only a New York Times bestselling author who has written, well, I kind of lost track of how many books he was he had written because, well, let's just be honest, my computer kind of flaked out on me. But that's not the point. He's written a lot of books. And I'm very excited to have him on here because he's written stories in the worlds of Stranger Things, uh, the, the Sherlock series. Uh, not not Sherlock, the British series, but the elementary that was on CBS, uh, that Sherlock Holmes series. Dishonored, Doctor Who, uh, there's, yeah, and m- probably my most important and favorite for me, Star Wars. Yeah. And other expansive universes. But his recent entry into the Star Wars universe is a sequel era, uh, trilogy era novel called Shadows of the Sith, which I am currently listening to on Audible. And uh, we're not going to get too far into that because, um, hi, Lucasfilms. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> it's a really good novel that that talks about uh, all the stuff that we see leading up into uh, the sequel trilogy. And it's fantastic. And I am very much enjoying it. It's very well written. So go check that out. Shadows of the Sith. It's even more fun on Audible because it's a really cool immersive experience. But I have wasted too much time getting to my guest. And so Adam Christopher, welcome to the FSF podcast and my immense level of rambling today. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm excited. Uh, we had a little bit of a chat, chance to talk before we started recording for this that you know, the things that I'm listening to and, and we were talking about the books and all that. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to have you on today because I love talking to people who are even a little bit of what I like to call Star Wars adjacent, you know, and they're may, maybe not on camera, but they're doing really cool things in the Star Wars world. And you are one of those people. Uh, so, you know, uh, we've listed some of the universes that you've worked in over your career. Now I've asked this question of, of other authors and I would love to get your take on it because I think it's, I think it's kind of a unique perspective on your work and the work that you're doing. So my question for you, Adam is how does writing in the worlds of star Wars, doctor who stranger things, even elementary and, you know, um, and all these others where there's a pre-established universe with its own set of rules and regulations and customs and standards and all these different things, how does how does writing inside of those worlds affect your create your creativity? Do you feel that it uh, enhances it, or do you feel like it, it it limits it in some way? It's um it's interesting because it's definitely a different kind of writing to what you'd call I mean original. So by original, I mean you know my own stuff that I've made up, my own kind of IP. Sure. When you're working in, and they call that original, as if the Star Wars story is not original or a Stranger Things story is not original. But that's just kind of differentiation. Um, it requires a kind of a different approach because, as you say, these are, these are universes where the, the world building is kind of done, the characters are there. Um, and that's really important because something like Star Wars, I mean, you know, Shadow of the Sith, the two main characters are Luke Skywalker and Lando Carizian. Now, people have known and loved those characters mm-hmm. for 45-ish years. Um, and they know them better than they know some people in real life, I'm sure. So the key 
for writing that kind of story, and again, this is whether it's Star Wars or Stranger Things or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you've got to be absolutely true to the characters in that universe. Because if you get a single thing wrong, people will see it immediately. And like I'm a you know, I'm a fan of these things, so I would see it immediately. And I'm sure we've all read kind of slightly dodgy tie-in book where something's not quite right and characters don't feel like true to how we know them and how we love them. And you know, that's kinda of has that kind of cascading effect and kind of wrecks the whole thing. So I really enjoy that about tie-ins because for me, really nailing the character. And then, you know, if you nail the character, then everything else kind of comes from that. So the setting, the story. And what I love is that you have to to write an original story, like, you know, if you talk about Star Wars, novel-length story, 150,000 words, which has got to have all the things of an original novel. So it's got a beginning, middle, end. It's got to have internal logic and a story narrative and all the beats and pacing that you've got in in you know in an ordinary ordinary original novel mm-hmm. which is hard enough to do as it is but at the same time it then has to fit into the star wars universe with all its kind of rules and parameters and setting it's using characters that not only people love and know better than anything, like you know, Luke Skywalker or Lando or whoever's in it. You've also got to create your own original characters, which are brand new and people have never met before. And somehow they've got to sort of stand up and share the page with these established legacy legends that, you know, you know Star Wars or you know, Stranger Things. I might, my Stranger Things novel, Darkness on Edge of Town, was Hopper, Chief Hopper's kind of, backstory um, when he was a cop in New York in the late 70s. And again, it's like, well, he's one of the main characters of Stranger Things. People know him and know David Harbour's performance perfectly. And yet he was just one kind of cast member in this whole book in a new setting for Stranger Things, in a new era. And as a writer, the challenge is to kind of be able to match these amazing worlds that already exist. So like, to answer your question, <laughs> it kind of, for me, I love that challenge. It's like I've kind of compared it to a cross between like a jigsaw puzzle and a crossword, like at the same time, because you're doing all this thing, all these things that you would normally do in, in an original novel anyway, and it's got to fit perfectly within the parameters, not only the parameters of that universe, but also whatever particular kind of assignment you've been given um, for the tie-in. Because for every tie-in, like, there's, there's reasons why these books exist. Um, you know, the first ones I did were two books for Elementary, which, as you mentioned, is that Johnny Lee Miller, Lucy Liu, mm-hmm. modern-day Sherlock Holmes set in New York City. And, like, the brief for that was these are two kind of like, well, I treated them like kind of like the, the two-part mid-season finale kind of stories because obviously a novel is going to be longer than, you know, 45-minute TV episode. 
Sure. But they had to they had to fit into the existing seasons. So I think book one is like middle of season two somewhere, and then book three is somewhere in season three. So that was the kind of thing. It's like these these stories have got to exist in the series at those points where whatever has been established in the storytelling and the characters has to then continue after the books. So it was a case of taking these characters, doing the story, and then kind of putting everything back into the box afterwards to make sure that they kind of seamlessly continued. You know, and again, that was such a challenge because it was my first tie-in having to kind of recreate on the page Johnny Lee Miller as Sherlock Holmes um, and Lucy Lewis Watson. Well, that's kind of interesting because when it's a, when a performance is so unique and strong as Johnny Lee Miller, in a way it's kind of easier because the character is so well-defined on TV that you know, right down to body language, mannerisms, facial mm-hmm. expressions, because he is such a kind of master performer. Um, so you've got all that kind of template existing. But I guess in a way that also makes it harder because if you don't, again, if you don't give it right, if you miss something or you misunderstand the performance, sure, um, yeah, it's like it's not going to work. So I, I enjoy it and I find it creatively rewarding um, because you're still, you know, you're still writing your own story. Like for Star Wars, for Shadow of the Sith, it was like, well, the entire brief was, they said, take the line that Lando says in The Rise of Skywalker when he meets Rey. And then they're meeting the kind of a, that um, vehicle thing that was on the Pisana. And mm-hmm. he says, oh, yeah, me and Luke were chasing Ochi of Bestoon. He had a clue to a wayfinder. And you see the little hologram of, of um, Ochi. And, like, that's it. That's the whole line in the movie. And they said, well, right. write that as a write that story. Like, let's tell that story because it's, a, it's an unexplored angle in Star Wars. Um, which, is, which is kind of good because for Star Wars, it's like, well, what do I do? It's like, I've got to turn that into a whole book. Right. Um, and at the same time, fitting within the parameters because obviously it was going to be a sequel trilogy, kind of not really a prequel, but like related to those films. Um, and it was going to be in between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, which at the time was this kind of 35-year wilderness of nothing because we had some clues from comics. There's another book called Bloodline by Cordy Gray, which has, which is set afterwards, which has some stuff um, that we've seen now in you know, Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, kind of bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But at the time when I was writing, it's like, well, this is this is like a, just a nothing, which is good because then I had the freedom to like create a whole new thing, right? But at the same time, this kind of pressure of like, well, this is a whole new kind of z- zone of Star Wars storytelling. Yeah, so it's like, well, what do I do? Yeah, but yeah. So to answer your question, to get back around to it, yes, I I think for me creatively, it's a really good thing, and okay. also I think that like not it doesn't like it doesn't suit every kind of writer. I think some people, some writers, just don't enjoy it. Um. But, you know, I always kind of wanted to write tie-ins. I grew up reading Doctor Who books in New Zealand. Okay. You know, Doctor Who is before the before VCRs and DVDs and Blu-rays. It was these target novelizations of the old Doctor Who stories, which my school library had, like, the whole set. So 
I would just read them and read them. And I'd, and I'd read them and I'd want to write them. So nice. I'm kind of, I got the opportunity, which is cool. Okay. Yeah. Cause honestly that, that line in the rise of Skywalker is one of those things where when I heard it, I went, man, it'd be really cool if they made a show about that or they made a movie about that, you know, and, and then now it's in this book and I'm very much enjoying it. And, and you have some really cool little tie-ins and, and not to give too much away about your book, but I love the fact that we get to see why Dio, the little, the little, the little droid is why he is yeah. the way he is. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I love, and I love the way you wrote that. And there's just, there's lots of little things that, that you have in your book that, that tie into other things in the movies. And I think that's, so that's really cool. Um, but yeah, we're not going to get too much into that because uh, I don't want to give too much away for people who need to, it, like I said, if you haven't listened to or watched, read rather shadows of the empire of uh, the Sith, rather shadows of the Sith, Go check it out. It's really cool. I'm very much enjoying that book. All right. So, Adam, uh, one of the other things I'd love to know is I like to know why I'm always one of the people like when I when I meet somebody, I want to know their why, why they do what they do. What what makes people tick? Right. Uh, so I, getting to know who and what they are and why they are what they are. So in your case, what were the influences around you that encouraged you as a younger man, maybe to reach out and, and look towards writing? Well, yeah, like I think I've always written and I think it goes back to school because when I was um, like six and six or seven and I grew up in, I'm from New Zealand and I grew up in you know, primary school or whatever the equivalent is in the US. It's like every day we did creative writing and I don't know whether this is because there was, there was everyone, everybody did it at that age, or whether like our teacher was like a frustrated novelist or something who really wanted the kids to, to get into doing it. And I've still got some, some books, you know, exercise books from that time where I'm, I'm basically writing, um, seven year olds fan fiction of what Doctor Who story I was watching on TV that week. And like, I can pinpoint exactly what was on. This is like 1985 in New Zealand on New Zealand TV. Um, and I think perhaps that was really pivotal to be doing it at that age because since since then I've always kind of done it. And I've not imagined kind of not doing it. And I think the Doctor Who connection is quite strong because, as I said, Doctor Who, this is old school Doctor Who, you know, classic because mm-hmm. I'm old. It's like, it had this foundation for kids of my age of books because it would be on TV on one, you know, during the week. And then you never saw it again because they weren't released on video or DVD. And, um, you know, even recording with VHS was not really a thing then. So the way to re- to experience your favorite Doctor Who stories was to read the Doctor Who books, which are novelizations of the, of the TV episodes. So I kind of was always reading those. And because I always associated my favorite things, so my favorite things were Doctor Who and Star Wars. So with Doctor Who, I always associated watching the TV show with reading the books. And with Star Wars, I associated it with watching the movies and playing with the action figures mm-hmm. and the toys. So in a way, it's like, two different kinds of creativity because I was watching Doctor Who on TV and then writing my own Doctor Who stories. 
And then I was watching Star Wars and playing with the action figures, both of which were kind of outlets for kind of creating my own stories. And with Star Wars, I was kind of lucky because my dad worked for an advertising agency, which meant that he could borrow uh, a video machine for the weekend um, because his, you know, his company had you know, dozens of them. Um, and it used to be that he'd bring it home on like a Friday night and we would then go to the video store. And again, this is this is, sounds archaic because it's the old world which no longer exists. But like we'd go to the video store and he'd like, I could pick something to, to rent for the weekend. And I always rented Empire Strikes Back. And it got to the point, exactly, but it got to the point where like, we wouldn't bother going down to the video store on a Saturday morning. He'd just stop on the way home on Friday with the video machine borrowed from work. He'd rent the Empire Strikes Back. And like, I'd be set for the weekend and I could watch it like That's four awesome. or five times over a weekend. Yeah. Um, and then, and then kind of the combination of that was he did a lot of business trips to Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong. And this is kind of the mid eighties, which is sort of almost peak kind of Star Wars toy time. Mm -hmm. And he could bring back toys, Star Wars toys from Asia that you couldn't get in New Zealand. Like stuff that was either because New Zealand in those days still is a long way away and the way the world was these toys would get released like a year later two years later some wouldn't get released just whatever they kind of did with the market so he'd like bring back all the stuff <laughs> which like sounds um I don't know so privileged but like he'd bring back all these Star Wars toys so I had this combination childhood of watching Doctor Who on TV writing Doctor Who stories at school watching empire strikes back five times over a weekend for probably like three years this was like i was like probably six seven eight seven eight nine um and playing with all these action figures and toys so i guess that's kind of like the like creatively that's where i kind of came from but my parents are both big readers and my dad had had um like loads of science fiction novels and it's funny, he had, the first, one of the first books I tried reading was, because like, you know, you read Doctor Who books, it's for kids and stuff, and then there's other kind of stuff that school tries to get you to read. And the bookcase at home was like kind of adult science fiction, like Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and Frank Herbert mm -hmm. and Tolkien yeah. and all this stuff. Um, but when, and like I always used to look at the shelves and I was really like amazed by the covers. And especially the spines, like some of the kind of Asimov and... Um, Frank Herbert, like, they're fat books. Like, Dune, the Dune trilogy mm -hmm. is a single hardcover. It was, like, massive. Yeah. So I was always amazed by that. But in between was Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster, like the first Star Wars kind of original novel, which mm -hmm. is this kind of this paperback sandwiched between, I guess, Air yeah, Foster, between Dune and, I don't know, Arthur C. Clarke or something? And I remember, like, just taking it down and looking at the cover. Because, again, this is like, okay, well, this is Star Wars I've never seen before because I know the movies and I've got all these toys. And this is Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which is, like, not just, like, what even is this? Um, so I read that, like, over and over and over again growing up. Um, 
So yeah, so kind of like a oh. uh, like a brought up in a house which loved reading and valued books and creating Doctor Who stories and Star Wars stories. And I kind of never stopped. So, Love it. Yeah. I have to think that you and I are pretty close in age because I remember my dad coming home on Friday nights. Um, he would go to the video store and, uh, you know, during the age of the hype of like the laser disc, you know, we get a couple oh, different laser discs and bring those home. And I remember, you know, taking those because they were about the size of an, you know, a vinyl LP record. And yeah. I'd yeah. get that out. And he would always get me Empire Strike one whatever Star Wars movie was available. <laughs> let's just put it that way. But Empire Strikes yeah. Back was always was always one of them mm-hmm. because yeah. that was that was what I was going to ask for anyway. Uh, because that was and yeah. still is my favorite all time movie. That's that's not just the best Star Wars movie in my opinion. It's my favorite all time movie. Um, but yeah, I remember doing yeah. that. Laser, that laser disc, man! Oh my god! Yeah, I've never, I've never, yeah, I never watched that. I mean, yeah. Again, I think New Zealand being so far away, things like laser discs were so expensive and kind of exotic um, imports, you know, from wherever. Sure. Yeah, I you know what we, we he he would do the laser disc one weekend and we do do like the the VCR rental VCR the next weekend and and watch them on on the VH you know VHS and and yeah. kids that's a tape that you put into a machine and then it would go down in and you'd have to it was actually on tape not on a disc or a streaming service so yeah <laughs> the old days uh, yeah. gotta love old technology it still works it's still out there. I personally, I've been a freelance writer for about uh, about a year and a half to two years myself, and I've been writing for different websites and, and doing some different things. And one of the things I had to learn early on was, is that writer's block is a real thing. And it really does happen to some folks. I don't know if that's something that you've had to, to overcome, but what do you do to overcome writer's block when it creeps up into your work? It's kind of an interesting question. Um, <clears throat> there are writers that I know who say that it like it doesn't exist, um, and that's almost kind of like splitting hairs a bit because they say that you know it's really a symptom of something else, you know, anxiety, depression, or some kind of you know, other mental health issues, or there's some other kind of reason why you're not doing it. Which is kind of probably true, but also that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Like you know, right? It, it exists. It's real, um, and I certainly have it every day. <laughs> it's like <laughs> one of the things you kind of realize. I'm sure you know. It's like every day you've got to sit down and do the work, mm-hmm. and I think for me it never kind of gets easier. Um, no matter how much I've written, it gets harder because I think. The more you do it, the better you get naturally because it's just practice and you like exercising that kind of writing muscle. But also the more you do it, the more aware you become of your own limitations as well as aware of where you want to get to and what you want to achieve, you know, craft-wise, kind of like, you know, and and also – it's one of those things like when you're reading a really good book, it's kind of nothing worse for a writer because like firstly, like, well, this book is amazing. I'm really enjoying it. And then secondly, oh my God, I'm really depressed because like I can never be this good. So it's just a kind of like that 
push and pull, which you get with writing as well. It's like, you know, if you sit down and, and write something and it's really slow and you're feeling bad and then, like, it, it's terrible, you feel bad, and there's kind of a cycle of, of everything. So dealing with writer's block, I think, first thing, I'm like, well, acknowledge that it exists for whatever reason. Like, don't even, I don't even, like, analyze why. It's just like, okay, there's a problem somewhere. And you just kind of, like, think, like do things incrementally. I, for myself, it's like I allow myself that kind of recognition that, like, it's not working today or mm-hmm. this week or this month. And, again, it's like if you beat yourself up about it, it just gets worse because then you feel bad because you haven't done any writing. And if you miss a day or two days or three days, you're like, well, how long is this going to go on for? Or, um, you know, you kind of that whole, I hate to kind of like breaking the streak. I like track all my writing and stuff. It's like, if I don't write for a day and then it's like, ah, oh, I'm back to square one because I haven't done my sure. day's tally. So it's kind of like I just I kind of do it mechanically because it, the thing is, I've got a lot of people who are kind of waiting for stuff, especially when you do IP work like Star Wars or Doctor Who or Stranger Things or whatever. It's like people are waiting for material. <laughs> like there's not just editors or agents, which you kind of have for original fiction, but like there's you know how many layers and hierarchy of of people. At, at the kind of production companies and parent companies that are waiting to read stuff. So like that in a way is motivation because you know that people are kind of relying on you, but at the same time, there's the kind of pressure of like, okay, this is, this is too pressurized and there's there's too much writing on it. So I kind of like treat it very mechanically. It's like, well, if I can write 10 minutes and like, if it's, if I go, okay, write for 10 minutes and it's trash, well, I can fix it later. Mm-hmm. Or five minutes. If it's a really bad day, it's like five minutes. Like if you've got the worst writer's block ever, you can type, just physically type for five minutes. And often that's just all it needs. It's like the whole the whole thing about the hardest part is just starting. Right. And if you do for if you go for if I go for five minutes, maybe it goes for ten minutes and you have a timer I can you know, the alarm goes off, I just put it on snooze and do another five minutes. And you kind of get the gears and the wheels going right um i mean i had i wrote three novels for dishonored which was a video game series Mm -hmm. um playstation xbox so i wrote three novels which i really loved doing but like i got such burnout after that because it was kind of very high pressure and back to back and there's all kinds of stuff and like the burnout from that was just so intense I just couldn't write. I was just like, it's not even just like sitting down and doing it. It's like just the thought of, the thought of doing that kind of made me, made my skin crawl. It's like, oh, you know, you just can't even make yourself do it. And you know that the worst, the longer it goes on, the kind of worse it gets. So that the whole, my solution is like just switch the brain off and go, go for pure process. Mm-hmm. And by, by by pure process, I mean, you know, I've written a lot of books. Um, anybody who's a writer, you've, you've written, you know how to do it. 
like some part of you, no matter how much doubt or uncertainty or fear you've got about what you can or can't do, you've done it. You know, your brain knows how to do it. And like for me, I used to have this thing, I've changed my office around, but I used to have a thing where if I looked over my monitor, there's like a bookcase and it had all my books, like one of each. And it's actually quite good because I used to sit there and, and like going, I can't do anything today. Or this really weird sensation of like, I don't know how to do it. Like, is it like what do I do? How do I write? What? How does it even work? And all I had to do was I like look at this bookshelf. It's like, well, I, I obviously did it at some point. Like, my brain knows what to do somewhere. Sure. So the idea being, and it's kind of your conscious level is what is really kind of stopping you because it has all that anxiety and fear and, um, I'm trying to find the right word, it's not like, you know, that feeling that you're not good enough to be to be doing this thing and that everything that you produce is kind of terrible. But to me, that's kind of like, that's that's baseline normality mm-hmm. for writing. And I think if there was a point where like that changed and I felt differently, then that's almost like a warning sign that something's gone wrong because it's like, you know, writing is very difficult and I don't like it. Um, and w- while I'm doing it, I'm pretty sure it's bad. But then, like, it turns out all right. So it's trust the process and just kind of type, type, you know, five minutes, ten minutes. In a 24-hour okay. day, you can you can fit that in. Oh, absolutely. And it builds up, yeah. Yeah, for me, I, one of the things that I've employed is that I've I, – I do the five-minute thing. I it, Like, if I'm struggling – because typically, if I'm if I'm struggling, because I'm I'm an article writer, so if I'm struggling to get my introduction going, and that's where I'm going to struggle the most, is is because once I get the 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 outline of how I want the article to go in my head, and why, you know, and I have that all kind of worked out, if I can get past the the first couple sentences of trying to get the article started, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like everything just kind of starts rolling from there, and I feel like I can. I can do it, but there's some times where, you know, I get the article started and I just kind of hit a, that wall and I'll, I'm like, well, okay, I'll give myself five minutes. And after that five minutes, sometimes if it's still not going, I'll get up and I'll go make myself a, a cup of coffee and I'll kind of walk around for a yeah. couple minutes. Yeah. If it's, if it's really bad, I, I might take a, a you know, a, a, an Xbox break and, you know, because my <clears throat> controllers are always kind of nearby. <laughs> uh <laughs> You know, so but I might do that, but then I, I always find that okay, like I'll play a round or two or something of whatever I'm playing, and and you know, or, and I'll come back to it, and it's like that's between the coffee and getting just kind of getting up, walking around. Maybe I'll go outside for a couple minutes, catch some fresh air, walk down to the mailbox, see if there's anything uh, in the mailbox. And, but for me, doing that, I'm able to circle back around and and kind of you know finish it off. So that's what hmm. I've that's what I've kind of done. Uh, in the you know uh not by means of comparison because i'm i'm still i'm still learning the ropes over here i'm still trying to make sure that i know what i'm doing and how but yeah uh so yeah i i've i've been talking to some other writers and that was one of the questions i've asked them is you know what are what is their process for for overcoming writer's block and there's been some fun answers um you know some a couple have said well (laughs) Uh, well, if it's just not happening, I'm, I'm done for the day and I'll, I'll come back, I'll sleep <laughs> on it, come back tomorrow. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, you know, like, you know, it's, 
one of them said that it wasn't worth beating their head up against the wall. So, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, eh, something along those lines. It was kind of worded that way, but you know, mm. but uh, yeah. So, all right. Mm. All right, Adam, uh, a lot of our listeners, when we have authors on, they always want to know what the, you know, their own reading habits and what they're doing and, in, in, in the world of, of literature. So it's a two part question. First off, what are you currently reading? So I'm reading a book called it's just called it's called Japanese Stories. Now it's a um, as you come for my birthday the other day. It's it's a big, nice, like arty kind of hardcover with a slipcase, like super nice edition. But it's available like as a regular thing. Um, and it's basically just a collection of Japanese folklore. Um, I think there's like 200 stories in this thing. Um, so that's kind of, I, I kind of read like maybe two or three things at once. Um, so that's a kind of more unusual book because as I said, I got it as a gift. So I'm kind of side reading it. Um, I'm reading... <clears throat> Silver Nitrate by I'm going to get it Sylvia Marino Garcia. Did I get her name right? I hope so. Um, which is kind of like a she does these kind of really cool period horror slash supernatural slash urban fantasies, mostly set in kind of Mexico in the mid twentieth century. Silver Nitrate's about a film, the film director, and this kind of magical properties of the films that he made, he made in the past. Um, and I read a lot of comics and manga. I'm reading <clears throat> a manga called Summertime Rendering. Okay. Which is, it's also an anime, which is available in the UK on Disney+. Plus. I think it might be, like, Hulu or something in the States, but it's about a guy who goes to back to his kind of childhood home for the funeral of a childhood friend, and I don't want to spoil it. Like, he discovers that like there's, there's more going on on the island that, than he realizes. Um, okay. But yeah, but I try, I try to read like three different things. So it's a manga, so it's a comic kind of format. Mm-hmm. There's this you know, Japanese folklore, which is, there's stories, but like it's not, it's not a novel or short, short stories. They're kind of like 200 very short pieces of folklore. And then okay. Silver Nitrate, which is a, which is a novel. Because I, yeah, I can't read like two novels at once or two comics at once because I just kind of get a bit confused. Um, so I try and that. keep them kind of separated, yeah. But also, <laughs> I, I like schedule in reading, like as part of my working day. I have like at least one twenty-five minute block of reading, like with a timer. That's cool. In the morning, and it's like because like you, why you know why would I be a writer if I'm not a reader? And it's very sure, easy sure. to kind of it's very easy to to put it aside. You know, because it's like, well, you can be doing something else or something is due or you've got writing to do. But to me, it's kind of, although I enjoy it, it's, it's work as well. So 
I kind of have that dedicated reading time. Um, and it's really good because it's amazing. Like if you do 25 minutes a day, I know that's kind of, that sounds kind of luxurious. It's quite a lot of time, but like you can read a lot in a year. Like that's a lot of books. Yeah. Um, even, I mean, I'm not a super fast reader, but like you get through it. Um, you know, 25 dedicated yeah. minutes. Yeah. You could, you could get through a couple chapters a day with that, you know, depending on the writer. So, yeah. Cause I think it's about, I, I read a lot on the Kindle as well. What I love about that is like, you can, you can see how long it's taking to read. So it's like, you know, four hours for an average novel in 25 nice. minute chunks. That's kind of like, you know, eight, eight, nice. nine, ten days. Yeah. Yeah. You can, um, you can plow through some books that way. Yeah. All right. All right. So here's the second half of that question. So uh, being a writer, I'm sure that from time to time you get people want to know what what should they be reading. So what book do you like to refer to other people regardless of the genre? Like if somebody's like, yeah, is there a book I should read? What should I be reading? Is there something you're like, you're always like, this is it. This is the one. Go read that. There's a book called Veronica. I can't even see it on my shelf. Um... And I'm trying to get the author. I need my phone or something. Um, he shares a surname, Christopher. You have to look it up for me. Veronica uh-huh. by someone. This is terrible. It's my favorite novel. I've gone blank. But it's kind of like a fantasy, science fiction, urban fantasy thing set in New York. And it's just really well written it kind of sounds bad because a lot of books are well written but like there's just something about it and also like not many people have probably heard of it but it's like it's important i think to read what you like reading and like it doesn't matter what the genre is either i think a lot of writers kind of have that thing of like making sure that you read across different genres like if you're really into science fiction don't just read science fiction um, because it's, yeah, there's so much good stuff available. Did you I find found it? it. Yeah. Uh, Veronica by Nicholas Christopher. Yes. Nicholas Christopher. Yeah. I found it's it on, uh, on Goodreads. Yeah. It's a book like, it's also it's like, it's, it's quite short and it's really super imaginative. I need to reread it. It's about like a, a magician. Um, like a kind of Tibetan magician in New York City. And it's just got the most surreal, fantastical. Like there's a there's like a there's like a jazz club where the band plays the music of Saturn's rings. Um yeah, it's just it's amazing. And I'd 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 recommend if I met yeah, if I met somebody and they and they wanted wanted to get a book recommendation like that would be my number one. All um, right. I think everyone should kind of read that. Yeah. Uh, it, kind of, it kind of feels, sorry, keep going. Yeah. No, just saying, according to Goodreads, it says that Veronica, the studying daughter of a vanished illusionist asked Leo, a photographer to help rescue her dad who has been lost in time. Yep. That's it. Yeah. It oh, sounds, it's got a cool it. premise. I've got to reread it. Yeah. It's got a cool premise. Um, 
Yeah. It's like it's kind of and it's like it's I guess it's complicated because Nicholas Christopher is more like a literary author. And I know literary novels can be heavy and a bit kind of sometimes pointless, but <laughs> but he's like it's a science fiction story or it's a fantasy mm-hmm. story. Like it's 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 good and it's it's short and I think more people should read it. Okay. And it's an example of a, of something that like I could never I could never be as good as that. I think that's the one thing of like a really good book for me is like I can I can aspire and dream to be as good as that one day, but like I'll never be there. You know, I love Stephen King and there's some Stephen King books which are just like how does he do it? Um, <laughs> and that's the thing, it's like like nobody knows, not even he knows who does it. All right. Well, very cool. I actually might check that one out next. It's got it. Like I said, I think it's got a cool premise to it. All right. Uh, so, Adam, we have reached that time on our show where we like to ask our guests what we call our silly question. And we came up with this because Kathleen and I were talking and she thought it was a shame. Kathleen's my co-host, of course. Um, uh, but Kathleen thought it was a shame that at a certain age in life, people stop asking you this question. And that question is, Adam Christopher, what's your favorite dinosaur? Can you require still man, I used to be the dinosaurs. My my parents' place has got all these books still that I had as a kid. Like old books where like really detailed kind of like almost itching itching style drawings of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what when the book is from. Um, man, I'm gonna say Iguanodon. Okay, because they were like that one up. they've I got these. Can't think what that one. So they're kind of they're 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 an upright biped, um, but they've got these really really distinctive kind of flat face, like an iguana, I guess, and they've got these claws, these very particular claws, with a kind of spike spike thumb sort of thing they were just really cool they need to be more popular yeah they need to be they should be up there for people forget tyrannosaurus rex or i mean people say velociraptor because it sounds a cool word and like oh they're really fast and mean and like tyrannosaurus is really huge and kind of vicious but that's that's mainstream dinosaurs man Brontosaurus, no. Stegosaurus, no. Triceratops, no. Iguanodon, that's the one. There it yeah. is, yeah. Kind of like a, kind of like a bill, and the, yeah, the 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 hands, claws, yeah. whatever you want to call them. Yeah, that's very one. cool. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> didn't recall that one until I was, I was like, oh yeah, I now I remember that. Yeah, mine has always been uh, the Triceratops because I'm. A oh yeah. I've always thought those were really cool because I always thought as a kid, I thought rhinos were cool, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, rhinos, that's just a modern day triceratops. And, you know, when I was a kid, that's how I saw them. So that's why I just kind of stuck around. So because I was like, but, yeah, like my favorite Transformers were the Dinobots. Right. Um, like yeah. I had, I had, I've always wanted, like they do really, really good modern Dinobot toys, like Grimlock, the leader, who's the, who's the Tyrannosaurus. Yeah. But like they're so expensive. They're like, I don't know. One day I'll 
I'll bring myself to kind of get one of these, like like super the huge, like Japanese, yeah, modern Dinobots. There you go. That'd be cool. All right, Adam. Thank you so much for being on the FSF podcast today. Where can our listeners and viewers go to find out more about you and your work? Um, well, my website is adamchristopher.me, uh, which kind of has all my stuff there. Um, I'm on Instagram, um, Adam Christopher Writer, and also on Threads, um, Adam Christopher Writer. And I'm still on Twitter for some reason as Ghostfinder. Actually, I know why, because Ghostfinder, which is my Twitter handle from 15 years ago, is official Star Wars canon. So, like, I can never let go of that account because, like, there's a Wikipedia entry for it. Um, so I have to keep it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm easily found, fortunately. Okay. All right. Very cool. Well, we'll make sure that we add those links into um, uh, our show description down below so our listeners can check them out and they'll be able to find out more about you and, and what you've got going on. So, and, and guys, strongly suggest that you do that. And remember, too, that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help our show to continue to grow. Get amazing guests like Adam here to come and, and sit down and talk with us. And we get to find out about cool dinosaurs like iguanodons because Adam brought them up in, into the show. So go mm -hmm. check those out. Those are cool, too. But <laughs> yeah, So please subscribe. It helps our show to grow more than we can ever really tell you. And go check out Adam's work. You can find it on his website. And, of course, we'll have his social links down there for you as well. So, again, Adam, thank you for being on the show. And, guys, that's going to wrap us up for the FSF podcast. Goodbye. Copyright 2024 FSF podcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF podcast. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com.